Everybody loves the touchdown. Throws to the back of the end zone, and it is touchdown by Holmes. The grand slam. Fly ball to center field. Ethier has done it again. It's a grand slam. The buzzer beater. Gets it to LeBron for three for the win. But how did those players get to that moment? And who built the venue and signed the contracts? Each week, we dig into the business side of sports and give you the answers. This is Sports Business Radio. Come on, boy, boy, can you get it up? Now, from our studios in Portland, Oregon, with Sports Business Radio, here's your host, Brian Berger. Well, thanks for checking out the only show in the country dedicated to covering the business side of sports. Glad you could join us this week. In our next segment, it's an abbreviated version of Sports Business Radio Headlines. We'll get to that in a moment. In segment three, Joe Favorito, a good friend of the show. He's a sports communications and marketing expert. We're going to talk about how are the Sweet 16 teams in the NCAA tournament activating around their deep playoff run? That's coming up in segment three. In segment four, Greg Bush, vice president of GMR Marketing. How are NFL teams and league sponsors preparing for an extended work stoppage? We've talked about what the players and the owners are doing to prepare. How are the league sponsors preparing? That's coming up in segment four. You can always follow me on Twitter at... SB Radio. We're online, sportsbusinessradio.com. We've got headlines coming up next. NCAA tournament numbers way up. We'll give you those numbers next. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. This is SBR. Back with more after this. She needs me now, but I can't seem to find the time. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. Brian Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. My guest is David Stern. He's the commissioner of the NBA. It is always a pleasure, Brian. Bill Hancock, he's the executive director of the Bull Championship Series. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Mark, thanks for joining me. My pleasure. My guest is Mickey Loomis. He's the executive vice president and general manager of the world champion New Orleans Saints. Pleasure to be with you guys. Mr. Allen, thanks for joining me. Thank you. My guest is Mark Emmert. He's the president of the NCAA. Oh, happy to join you. My pleasure. My guest is Eric Spolstra. He's the head coach of the Miami Heat. Brian, appreciate it. Glad to, uh, glad to be on the show. Mr. Nicholas, it's an honor to have you on Sports Business Radio. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Brian. Visit sportsbusinessradio.com and subscribe to our free iTunes podcast. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter and stay connected to the business side of sports only with Sports Business Radio. It's time, baby. Special news bulletin. At Sports Business Radio, we're always on top of what's happening in the world of sports. And each week, we break down the stories you need to know about. This is Headlines. I want to be in the headlines. On Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio. Well, because of our extended conversations with our guests this week, this is going to be an abbreviated edition of Sports Business Radio Headlines. The NCAA tournament ratings on TV tied for the best first four days in 20 years. 6.2 overnight Nielsen rating. And this is for the first weekend across CBS, TBS, TNT, and True TV. And the highest rated game of weekend number one, Duke, Michigan. No surprise there, Griggs. But, uh, you know, these TV numbers are very, very impressive. 
early on. Yeah, they are, and I think it just helps with all the network stuff they do. I mean, it's like the first couple of days I was watching was awesome because you're just flipping around between each game. One's getting over just as the other one's got three minutes left. I mean, it was a perfect scenario. I thought uh, the CBS whole band of TV and television did a great job. It's great and fun to watch. It really is nice to be able to watch all these games in their entirety and to be able to flip over and, and see whatever game you want at any point in the game. Now, TV numbers, not the only numbers that are impressive. 22% increase for online and mobile application viewing so far. 7.6 million visits for coverage of the tournament on the first day on that Thursday. So lots of people logging on to watch online as they have in the past. You know, we wondered with Greg Shaheen last week from the NCAA, would the online numbers decrease because of the increased presence of TV across the four networks? So far, that has not been the case in the numbers online and mobile applications up 22%. Now, for this weekend, Regional semifinal average prices according to StubHub. If you're in Newark, $366 for a ticket there. Anaheim, $301 for a ticket there. San Antonio, $201. And New Orleans, $178. So those are the average ticket prices if you're attending one of the four regions this weekend. All right, coming up next, Joe Favorito. We're going to talk with him. What are teams that aren't normally making deep runs in the NCAA tournament. What are they doing to activate around those runs and take advantage of the spotlight while it's on them? That conversation with Joe Favorito coming up next. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. I'll be right back. Podcast this show and any other past SBR episode at sportsbusinessradio.com. Back with more SBR after this. So let me Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. It's no secret that we're battling a tough economy these days. It's more difficult than ever for companies to position their brand in a unique way and reach their target audience. Sports Business Radio can help you, though. Sports Business Radio is syndicated in markets nationwide. Our popular podcast is regularly rated in the top 100 business news podcasts on iTunes and has listeners around the world. But our radio network and podcast aren't the only places your company will receive exposure when you join our family of sponsors. We'll also give you exposure via sportsbusinessradio.com and at our new Sports Executive Speaker Series events, which feature a conversation with a key decision maker from the world of sports in front of a live audience. And best of all, we can expose your product to the big-name guests that appear on our show. We'd love to have you on our team. Please contact me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com or at 503-701-2215 if you're interested in becoming a sponsor of Sports Business Radio. The website is sportsbusinessradio.com. My guest is Joe Favorito. Joe has almost a quarter century of strategic communications marketing experience, business development, public relations expertise in sports, brand building. He's also an instructor at Columbia. You can find him on Twitter at Joe Fav. Joe, thanks for joining us on Sports Business Radio. Thanks, Brian, and thanks for making me feel very old. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. Didn't no mean problem. to. No, you've got a lot of experience. You know, you've got a great blog, JoeVavarito.com, JoeFavorito.com, and you wrote this week about some of the schools in the NCAA tournament that aren't typically 
advancing to Sweet 16s, Grade 8s, Final 4s, and how are they taking advantage of their moment in the sunshine? I mean, I look at the Sweet 16. We've got BYU, San Diego State, Moorhead State, VCU, Richmond, Butler, Marquette. Here are schools that aren't your Dukes and North Carolinas and you know, used to being in the in the spotlight. Let's go through and talk about a few of those schools and um, how they're taking advantage during this time of the spotlight. Let's start with BYU. I mean, there's been a lot of conversation about BYU. Jimmer Fredette, probably the most well-known name left in the tournament. They're selling merchandise like it's flying off the shelves right now, aren't they? Well, it, they are, and, and it's an interesting mix for BYU, obviously, because of the fact that they're going independent and then going to a much smaller conference for a lot of the other sports next year. So um, they're probably a little bit different. Um, there's really two groups. One group is are the BCS schools, which are, happen to be in the Sweet 16, and then the other one, which are even more intriguing, are at least those four non-BCS schools that really don't get that kind of financial bang from football uh, and have to really kind of take advantage of this spotlight and figure out not just for today, but you know how is this going to impact the school, not just the athletic program, but the whole school going forward and what can they do as opposed to just sitting there and, you know, and taking the dollars that come over the transom um, from merchandise sales or from, you know, increased a- uh, academic applications and really kind of turn it into something that's positive for every athlete who or every alumnus or every student who goes to a university. That's really kind of the challenge. And how are some of these schools doing that? I mean, you know, one of the things we talked about and you wrote about is the increased academic applications. You know, there's always the argument, well, sports doesn't really translate into more of the general student population applying at your school. We're seeing that that's not really the case with some of these schools, right? Well, it's true. And one of the things from some of the schools that I worked at back in the day, I mean, I worked in athletic departments at Fordham University in New York, and I own a college in Monmouth College in New Jersey. Uh, and, and I've really kind of always had a passion for those, you know, those little guys in the mid-major schools. And uh, even, it's funny, even w- when I worked for the Knicks, one of the things that, that I always looked for was when we would have a national broadcast is, you know, what can we do for our community relations or our other departments to make sure that, that there are messages kind of ingrained in the broadcast? And, and I think that's a really big part of it is sometimes people get caught up in athletics or you get caught up on the on you know the, the basketball or the football side of a business and you don't realize how this can be a great marketing tool for everyone who's involved um, and that's really the key is making sure that when you know Gus Johnson or Jim, Jim Nance is calling your game that that whoever it is is you know the sports information director the assistant athletic director is working with you know the development people and the school PR people who usually sometimes don't get along very well or don't really kind of share the same space to make sure that the right messages about the school and not just the athletes are being communicated to the millions of people who are either watching, listening, or you know experiencing a, you know an NCAA game in person. That's really really important. Some schools do it well. Some schools kind of get caught in, you know, in the moment of what's going on and hadn't even thought of it and, and lose the opportunity. So the ones that, that have been there before um, or the ones who are looking at this as really kind of a, you know, an overall brand marketing opportunity for the school are the ones who will succeed the most. Let's talk about Moorhead State. I mean, you said that 3,000 
applications have come in recently from general population students. Moorhead State, of everyone on this list, they seem to be the, the school that, uh, you know, is probably last on the list when you're looking at BYU, San Diego State, and, and some of the other schools. Butler and Marquette have made some good runs. Butler made it to the finals last year. If you're at Moorhead State, what are you doing right now to get their brand out there and get those key messages out there? Well, it's funny. When the coach said that they had 3,000 applications, I, I kind of scratched my head because they won on St. Paddy's Day in the afternoon, and his press conference was, you know, the next day at 1 o'clock. So, you know, who are these 3,000 people that were suddenly sitting there saying, oh, my God, i got to right. do my application for more State <laughs> right now. Um, but, you know, it is true that you, that you see that, and, and I think, you know, no matter who the school is, and I remember Siena a few years ago when they made it to – the second round, and this was, they beat Stanford, I think, in the first round, and I want to say this was like 92, 93. They came up with a plan that called it, um, they were playing in, um, uh, I think it was Greensboro, and they, they came up with this plan that said, you know, we're going to print up t-shirts that say Greensboro Final Four, because that's as far as they made it. And they used that as kind of a tool for, you know, incoming students to kind of get them excited and made T-shirts and sent them out to everybody and printed bumper stickers. And that was a really cool way for, for them to kind of take what happened in that 48-hour period and translate it, you know, well, well beyond. You know, I'm sure that whoever, you know, is in the athletic department of Moorhead State is sending, you know, as many copies of clips and everything else around that they possibly can. But, you know, how do you kind of merchandise that with, with brands who'd want to be involved with the university? And that's really kind of a tricky thing uh, that I think is something that, that, that schools should look at more is how do you take that, you know, that, that athletic moment, like you would take someone winning a Pulitzer Prize or, uh, you know, a Nobel Prize for someone on your faculty and use that for every message that you have going out there, you know, for the period of at least a year that shows that, you know, your, your athletic department and your school is in lockstep with academics and athletics at the same time. That's really, really important, and that, that's a great source of pride for anyone who's been involved. We're joined by Joe Favorito. You can find him online at JoeFavorito.com. He's on Twitter, at Joe Fav. Joe, when I was in college, I went to Loyola Marymount, and mm-hmm. I was the radio broadcaster for the team that went to the grade eight Loyola Marymount after the death of Hank Gathers. And here's this. Kimball shot with his left hand. Exactly right. And, I mean, here was a school that was this tiny little school in Westchester, California. Totally falls into this category. They were not prepared, even back then, for the wave of publicity and of everything that came their way because they made this uh, deep run into the tournament. They especially weren't prepared with merchandising or anything like that. I always think back, gosh, if they would have had some great merchandising back then, they could have made so much money because everyone wanted a part of that team. And I'm wondering, you know, with merchandising, we see Jimmer Fredette jerseys flying off the shelves, as I said at the beginning of the interview. How much of that, like if you're looking at the pie chart here, where's merchandising in all of this for these schools? Well, it's funny. I think it's a big part, and people still – there was one story that talked about um, one of the schools and how they ran out of T-shirts uh, in the bookstore when they won their league tournament. I can't remember which one it was. It may have been VCU. Um, and how that they were they were prepared this time because they saw kind of what the demand was. Um, you know, it's hard for some schools. A school like BYU, because – it's such a you know a, a well endowed school, uh, and and there's a lot of money, intrinsic money that's built into um, the LDS Church and how they they kind of market BYU. 
um, is a little bit different than some of the smaller schools. But you look at a school like George Mason that you know had the amazing run two right. years ago, um, and then over the last two years have re- has really kind of sat back with their athletic director, Jack Cavance, uh, who's now retiring, and said, you know, what else can we do? You know, all of a sudden we get on a radio station that we shouldn't be on that's doing our games, you know, in, in Washington, D.C., but then over time, you know, you have kind of a bump in the road because you don't have that year every type of year, uh, and you've got to figure out a way to sustain it. And what they did was they took all – they talked to everyone who listened to a game, uh, anybody who could be affected, and they said, you know what, instead of spending money and putting a game on a radio where we're going to get bounced around to seven different stations, we're going to do everything online and create an app. And they created an amazing app, not just for basketball, but for the entire athletic department. Uh, department that had tremendous content that they launched this year, uh, and then you know when the tournament rolled around, people were downloading their you know their free app by the thousands because everybody wanted more information about George Mason. That's a great example of what you can do, and in that it comes with you know ways to buy T-shirts and ways to find out about volleyball and ways to find out about admission and backstories on their players that people would never have found out about. So they realized what happened two years ago and were able to kind of think, if it ever happened again when the sun comes out, what are we going to do to, to make sure that happened? And, you know, and they made a nice run this year as well, you know, winning their first-round game. So, um, so that's one of the things that they can do. But I, I think merch is, is somehow important in this. But a lot of times, even with, you know, that's happened with broadcast rights, is schools outsource their merch. So you'll find, you know, Barnes & Noble will, will run the bookstore. So the school doesn't make as much off it. But to get that stuff out there, especially if it's kind of hip and cool, you know, is very interesting to see how the product licensing goes. What about donors? You know, you have donors who want to be associated with a winner. And, hey, our team's making a deep run in the NCAA tournament. I'm finally going to get that checkbook out and write that check. Mm-hmm. How many more donations are we seeing to these schools from alums or from other companies because of the deep runs that these teams are making? I think it always goes up, but it's usually a short window, and then you always got to wonder about how many people are writing, you know, saying they're going to don- donate and then never write the check-in. I think if you're a school, you have to figure out what the added value is um, that goes away from just, you know, someone writing me a check. What's the follow-up that you're giving them? Are you going to have an athlete call them? You know, are you going to send them something that's different or a special thank you note or uh, something that th- that they're not going to get? So that there's there's a legacy that goes with this. Yes, there'll there'll be the emotional, you know. Here's the call, and I'll give you a perfect example. Is my wife went to the University of Albany three years ago. They made the NCAA tournament, and I don't remember whether they won in the first round or they almost won in the first round. She got bombarded every day by a call from someone in in the athletic department looking for a check. Now she had never been to a game, she'd never contributed money before, and suddenly they were looking for money, 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 money. I thought that was a mistake. Mm-hmm. I think what should have happened is. You make one call or you, you, know, you do your outreach, and then you figure out what are the little chachka things that you can send people to make them feel a part of something. And when that happens, I think that the, the donations go up exponentially because all of a sudden you're not asking them for money, even though it's very emotional, that you're giving them something and then there's a follow-up to that. I think the donations will come, but I think what happens for the long term is to figure out how you can build relationships with people more than just taking their checks. Joe, something else that's changed a lot in the last few years, social media. How are these programs using social media to try and uh, communicate their key messages and also just uh, brand awareness? I think it's very, very interesting. What I noticed on Sunday, and I noticed this throughout the the tournament, on Twitter, there was never a day where the term March Madness trended. And I thought that was very strange Hmm. because you'd think for the mega event that it would have happened. But what happened is 
there were so many micro groups that were kind of siphoning off of that uh, that it, it built up all these kind of followings and silos for various universities because yes people were following the tournament but they were really following the schools or the the moment that was going on so when Marquette won and was the last team in the Sweet 16 last Sunday I went online and I looked and there were tons of trends for um, you know there was hashtag MUBB there was hashtag uh, Marquette University there was you know all these other like little subgroups but they were generating tremendous amounts of short-term interest now if there was an aggregator, and there are some companies out there that do that, that could capture all that for Marquette as a whole and show kind of what their overall social footprint was, would have been tremendously helpful, I think, to any university uh, or any athlete or any team or any school. Um, but I, I think that, you know, that it has gone up, and the buzz that went on you know, during those rounds wasn't as much you know, reporters sitting there saying, oh, so-and-so just scored a basket. It was kind of the emotional outcry that, that came after whatever the, you know, the result was or the bad call by the official. Uh, and those are the things that I think will kind of evolve over time and, and will eventually become very merchandisable for whoever the person is who captures that moment. Last question for you. Butler made it to the finals last year. They're in the Sweet 16 again this year. You know, They're a smaller school based in Indiana. How are they doing with reaping this uh, added exposure? Because a few years ago, people weren't paying that much attention to Butler as a university, and their basketball team has certainly put their brand and their college's name on the map a lot more. Yeah, I think that there, there's two pieces. One is, you look at Butler, and I, I kind of think of the way uh, Gonzaga evolved in the West Coast Conference and really kind of became the school, and off of that... You know, you've had other schools like St. Mary's and Santa Clara, and you know, maybe at some point Loyola Marymount will will capture that and kind of follow Hopefully. the playbook that Gonzaga set. Not from a winning standpoint, from but from a brand building standpoint, and what you can do with that. And it seems like Butler is kind of following along what Gonzaga did. Uh, Darren Rovell had a great piece on CNBC yesterday talking about, uh, you know, how they've they've channeled the exposure that they got last year and the exposure they got this year to redoing or rebuilding Hinkle Fieldhouse, which, you know, it went into a capital fund, and that's where they wanted to target their money. They didn't want to target it towards scholarships or academics. They needed more brick and mortar on the campus, and that's the way they were going to do it. And it was very, very smart to do that. They knew what they wanted to do. They've invested all their time and their efforts into being, you know, laser sharp and focused on what it is they want to channel all that money and that ancillary exposure into, and that's what they've been able to do. Now, you know, they make another run or at least win, you know, Thursday, Friday of this week, you know, it'll be interesting to see, you know, what they can parlay that into, not just in dollars, but in terms of overall exposure for the university and, and, you know, and how that helps in a positive manner for Butler and Indianapolis going forward. Terrific conversation from Joe Favorito. Find him online, joefavorito.com. He's on Twitter at Joe Fav. Joe, great to have you on the show and uh, let's stay in touch. Thanks, Brian. Enjoy Thank the weekend. you. You too. Okay. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Stay in the know at sportsbusinessradio.com. Podcasts, blogs, and more. SBR will be right back. This is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. Every championship team has one thing in common, good coaching. And I want to be your coach, your media coach. When I'm not hosting Sports Business Radio, I team with former Nike PR director Lee Weinstein to form New School Media Coaching. 
New School Media Coaching uses a fresh and interactive approach for educating our clients about dealing with today's media landscape. Whether you're an athlete, a coach, or a front office executive in the sports or business world, we'll prepare you for communications with the masses in today's social media world where everything is on the record. And just like any good coach, we'll help you practice your new skills and we'll be there to provide constructive feedback every step of the way. With a combined 40 years of experience, we're veteran coaches, but we use a new school approach. For an overview and a list of our services, visit newschoolmediacoaching.wordpress.com or email me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com. Back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. Well, on past shows, we've talked about what happens during the NFL work stoppage with players and with owners. But we haven't talked about what happens with the sponsors who are spending millions of dollars with NFL teams. To chat with us about that, Greg Bush, the executive vice president of GMR Marketing. His agency works with brands to develop and execute sponsor strategies. Current clients with the NFL League and or team deals include Miller Coors, Visa, Gillette Procter & Gamble, Lincoln Financial, Comcast, and Lowe's. Greg, thanks for joining us on Sports Business Radio. Thanks. Glad to be here, Brian. So, you know, we've talked in past shows about owners and players and what their strategies are during this work stoppage in the NFL, but we haven't talked about team sponsors, league sponsors. So let's talk about that this week with you, because you work with a lot of these companies that are trying to draw up strategies. What do we do during this work stoppage? Where do you start with your clients now that we know, okay, we're in the midst of a work stoppage and we don't know when it's going to be over? Yeah, and I think as far as working with our clients related to the the lockout, it really began six, eight months ago. Um, Obviously, this has been a potential for two years since the owners, uh, you know, ended the extension. So we, we've this has been here, and it's been on everybody's radar, and we've really been kind of working on planning because the planning cycle for a lot of our clients that activate around NFL, whether it be on the league level or the team level, their planning cycles are 12 months, nine months out in some cases. So we've really been in the mix of it. What we do really depends on the client, but it's a combination of, you know, moving forward, business as usual, which is what a lot of the teams are doing. Uh, but we've also had to make adjustments and you know plan Bs in some cases, depending on when the the lockout ends and when we get back to uh, playing football. Give our listeners an idea of how much money sponsors are spending on the league level and then the team level. I mean, I know we're talking millions of dollars, and again, we're talking about huge companies, Miller Coors, Visa, Gillette, Procter & Gamble. How much money are these companies spending? Oh, there's millions on the table right now, and that's a combination of the contractual uh, sponsorships that they have with either the league or the team, or in some cases both. Uh, but also the activation and promotional dollars, media dollars that support those sponsorships. So it really goes beyond you know, the actual deal itself with the team or the league and the amount of money that's affected right now. And those activation, promotional, and media dollars are really the ones that are in play right now. The contracts are in place. You know, There's provisions uh, within all the contracts on a work stoppage, credits, you know, reimbursement, et cetera. What isn't in the contracts is, in a large case, the activation of promotional dollars to support these sponsorships. And that has a real cascade effect through the media partners, 
the teams, all the way down to local bars and restaurants. Yeah, explain that to our listeners in a little bit more detail. So you've got this language in the contracts that says if there's a work stoppage, you get X amount of dollars as a credit. But how, how could you be losing money in other ways? The, from the sponsor perspective? Yes. Yeah, from the sponsor perspective, I mean, they, I mean they're obviously at some loss if they activate programs such as promotions around the team. Uh, and there's a work stoppage. They're activating on something that isn't happening. Um, but those are the provisions that we're trying to put in. If you know, so whatever merchandising, promotional items, signage that they're putting out in the marketplace, whether that be at stores or bars or restaurants, obviously there's a impact on that. Versus the sponsorship contract, there's money that's being exchanged by the sponsors to the teams. There's provisions in there to protect both parties. Uh, that provision isn't there for the activation and promotion support. We're joined by Greg Bush. He's the executive VP with GMR Marketing. Greg, one of the tricky things here is there's no longer an NFL Players Association. There's no longer a union. So a lot of times the unions negotiate uh, likeness deals and imaging rights with the league that is then able to be transferred to the sponsors when these deals are made. What's happening now that that isn't in place? It's really dried up, and it's really dried up as a result of the uncertainty that's in place. As you referred to, there's no longer a union. It's replaced by a trade association, but they, you know, there's certain parts of that uh, using players that was in the original CBA, which no longer exists. So I think right now there's a lot to be left up to legal interpretation and that means a lot of folks are really taking a wait-and-see approach on doing deals with players it also opens up you know the league sponsors nfl league sponsors were protected by that cba on uh, being ambushed by competitive companies doing player deals without that cba in place uh, obviously the association can go out and negotiate with any companies, whether or not they'll have a lot of takers for that in this kind of sea of uncertainty and, you know, that protection coming back in place should we get a uh, resolved uh, collective bargaining agreement. Uh, You know, it's really left everybody on the sidelines waiting to see what happens. We've seen in years past in other sports, Michael Jordan opted out of the union deal, made his own deals in the NBA. Barry Bonds did the same in baseball. Do you think there's a chance we see a Tom Brady, a Peyton Manning, some of the marquee players of the NFL say, you know what, during this work stoppage, this is an opportunity for me to go out and make my own deal. And then if there's a union later, I'm not going to opt into that union deal because I've already made my own deals outside while this uh, stoppage has been going on. Yeah, in a certain sense, uh, individual players can be doing uh, standalone deals already um, with the old collective bargaining agreement in place. So I, I don't know that there's going to be much change on that that side. I think what will be watched closely is whether or not those are interpreted as you know leaving the association or crossing the line. And I think right now, uh, at least at this stage, the players are showing a lot of solidarity to the association. So it's just something that everybody's watching. Greg, what would be your best guess as to how much money could be lost here by teams who have to give back credits 
to team and league sponsors because of this work stoppage? Oh, millions. And, you know, I think the numbers being thrown around right now in annual revenue, the annual revenue pie that's being discussed here is $9 billion. Now that's on a, a full year uh, basis. So I think you know, sp- teams are losing money today. And as we move towards the draft and all the things that they do around draft activation and draft parties through training camp and things that are built into the contracts for that, and then we start moving into preseason, regular season, and those become actual dollars that have to be reimbursed to the sponsors, it really starts to add up. So as we're watching this go along, I mean, obviously people talk about players missing paychecks. This is going to hurt the owners, too, because if they're losing out on this revenue from sponsorships, eventually, even though most of the owners are multi-billionaires, it's going to make a dent in, in their paychecks as well, right? Absolutely. But I think it you know, it really cascades down in, even into the front office entry-level staff where uh, we've already seen teams that have... Uh, issued, uh, you know, layoffs, cut and pay, furloughs, you know, so that's when it really starts to hit home. I think the owners have a little more uh, luxury of time as far as hitting their pocketbooks. But, you know, as you look at it, the further this goes in, it really affects the negotiations in the sense that the last proposal that the owners made to the players probably doesn't get better because of the loss in revenue that is... uh, taking place right now. How much current advertising, let's say that you're Gillette and you're using an NFL player, are you having to pull those ads? Are you having to go through you know, airports or find billboards around town and bring those ads back because now there's not a union, so to speak, or can you keep those in effect? Well, the NFL won't, as an NFL official league sponsor, the NFL won't prohibit you from using the, the marks and or the player likenesses that you had in place, as long as you've got those uh, contracts in place with the players. So, not necessarily there. I think where you do start to see some of it uh, take place, and again, some of it just in pre-planning, we we actually have gone to more uh, team logo, team trademark-based advertising than specific players, just based on that uncertainty. So, again, it's... No one size fits all, but everybody's really taken a, a cautious approach to how they're using all marks and player likeness. You mentioned earlier this gives, I guess, competitors the opportunity to potentially poach deals. Are you seeing any of that yet? We really haven't. And like I mentioned, I'm not sure there's a, a market. It's certainly been the Players Association has made it clear that they intend without a CBA in place to uh, pursue non-league sponsors, uh, but we haven't seen those deals take place, and I'm not sure there's a marketplace for it, just with that level of uncertainty that's out there. There had been talk, and I guess it's quieted this week, but there had been talk about the Players Association doing their own TV deal for the NFL draft, and the players not going to New York and you know, doing the, the normal pomp and circumstance with uh, the NFL and shaking Commissioner Goodell's hand. Do you think if something like that took place, there would be either league sponsors or maybe some new sponsors that would say, you know what? I want to be a part of that and, and get my brand aligned with the players and, and that telecast. 
There might be. Uh, in some cases, um, you know, it just depends on the category. There might be things like uh, the fantasy league sites and things like that that uh, would want to kind of tap into that directly with the players, the new players coming in and the fans uh, taking that in. I'm not sure that's going to come to fruition, though, because I, I think the players uh, holding out of the actual draft itself may actually happen. I'm not sure an alternative uh, platform for the draft uh, around the players will have enough uh, juice per se, and it, I think that is really going to be the fir- next milestone uh, outside of legal things that are taking place right now. I think the draft is really the next milestone for the actual football fan to really kind of understand the severity of where we stand right now, and the fact that players may not walk across that stage, and they may just be announcing names like they did back in the 60s. We're joined by Greg Bush. He's the executive VP with GMR Marketing. Just a few minutes left. Greg, a number of NFL teams with new practice facilities, new stadiums that have sponsors tied to them. How much are they worrying right now? Is Jerry Jones worrying more than other owners because he's got a brand spanking new uh, facility there in Dallas? And I know the Jets and Giants have a new facility. Where do they stand in all of this? Well, I think they're certainly impacted by the, the the loss in a number of revenue streams, but I think they are actually a driving reason why the owners are taking such a stand uh, on this negotiation. I think a lot of the owners that have that much invested and that much debt accumulated in new stadium, new facilities, they're the ones that are really holding the line to get a better deal out of this next collective bargaining agreement. How concerned are the companies that you're working with that this is going to turn into a scenario where games are missed? I think everybody's concerned. I think that's certainly something that is becoming more and more of a reality. As we, I mean, every day lost is a change in, in plans uh, heading into next season. And you know, we have got, in some cases, our clients are taking a wait-and-see approach. In some cases, it's business as usual until we're actually impacted. Uh, but in some cases, we're actually looking at alternative uh, sponsorships and marketing platforms in sports to uh, maybe replace a lost number of games or lost season in some cases. So, for example, let's say the NFL issues a credit to Visa because there's no football going on. Could Visa take that money that they get as a credit from the NFL and put it into another sports entity or somewhere else to activate that money and to try and keep brand awareness during the time when there's no football? Uh, It really depends on the individual sponsor contract they're all all different in how they're dealing with the 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 loss and the whether it's credits or actual money back i think when sponsors are looking at alternative uh, sponsorships they are using separate marketing dollars that they'll they'll look against that and then they'll backfill them with any replaced dollars uh it's also a lot of it's media driven i mean a lot of what uh you have to if you take out a number of football games that happen on any given weekend uh, from Thursday through Monday. There's a lot of rating points there on the table that will need to be replaced by something. And those advertising dollars need to go against 
something. So the, those are those are driving a lot of these decisions. No, I bet they are. Let me ask you this because we get asked this by our audience a lot. You've got big markets and small markets in the NFL. How much money is, let's say, uh, the New York Jets and Giants able to clear with sponsor money as opposed to a team like Jacksonville? Well, I mean, clearly it, it's it's market driven, and you know you've got big markets and small markets, so th- there is a, a a diversity there. But you know, you look at somebody like Green Bay, and you know, obviously they had a Super Bowl run, but on a pretty consistent basis. They're able to drive substantial revenue on the, the smallest market in the league, um, so it, it really isn't, you know, big versus small. And I think the the revenue sharing that's built into the collective bargaining agreement uh, really balances that out amongst owners. Uh, and that's again one of the sticking points in trying to get a new collective bargaining agreement, where the top 15 uh, revenue generating teams. Uh, help supplement the lower 17. So there's a balancing effect there. Last question for you. Tell us more about GMR marketing and and what you're doing in the sports space. We've mentioned some of the clients that you're working with, but uh, give us a little bit of uh, information on GMR marketing, if you would. Yeah, well, we're a uh, what we refer to as an engagement marketing agency with a sports marketing practice built underneath that and work across pretty much all global sports uh, obviously have a lot of activity on the client side with the NFL, both from a league perspective, individual teams, and then uh, players themselves. And so this is something that we've been working with our clients on for, again, uh, 8, 12 months in kind of really planning how we, we do this. And we'll handle everything from upfront consulting We'll negotiate various deals uh, with those entities on behalf of our clients, and then we build really the marketing plans and the, the, all the promotions that take place around those sponsorships, and uh, hopefully to the benefit of all the NFL fans. Yeah, it's interesting. It seems like there's a lot of companies with money to spend on sports, but they don't necessarily know how best to do that or how to activate it after they've spent that money. So I'm sure a company like yours uh, is definitely an asset for them to have. Yeah, and that really goes back to the earlier discussion around there's there's sponsorships and the sponsorship fees associated with that, but then it's really what you do with those sponsorships. And those take planning, but they also take uh, support dollars from media and promotional dollars to bring these sponsorships to life. And, and again, it's, I think at the end of the day, it's all about the benefit to the, the fan as the end user that are all, all NFL sponsors are trying to do. Greg, where can people find more about GMR Marketing online or on Twitter? You can find us at uh, gmrmarketing.com, and uh, all our information is, is right there. Well, I really appreciate you taking time to join us on Sports Business Radio this week. Uh, this is a topic that a lot of people have wondered about. As I said at the beginning of the interview, you know, people have talked about the owners and the players, but no one's really talking about what are the sponsors doing during this work stoppage. So this has been an educational uh, conversation. I appreciate it. Well, thanks, Brian, and thanks to Sports Business Radio. Thank you very much. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Stay in touch with SBR on Twitter, twitter.com slash SBRadio. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. Brian Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. 
My guest is David Stern. He's the commissioner of the NBA. It is always a pleasure, Brian. Bill Hancock, he's the executive director of the Bull Championship Series. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Mark, thanks for joining me. My pleasure. My guest is Mickey Loomis. He's the executive vice president and general manager of the world champion New Orleans Saints. Pleasure to be with you guys. Mr. Allen, thanks for joining me. Thank you. My guest is Mark Emmert. He's the president of the NCAA. Oh, happy to join you. My pleasure. My guest is Eric Spolstra. He's the head coach of the Miami Heat. Brian, appreciate it. Glad to to be on the show. Mr. Nicholas, it's an honor to have you on Sports Business Radio. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Brian. Visit sportsbusinessradio.com and subscribe to our free iTunes podcast. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter and stay connected to the business side of sports only with Sports Business Radio. This is Sports Business Radio. Major League Baseball released its most popular jerseys for the 2010 season this past week. Number one, Derek Jeter of the New York Yankees. Number two, Joe Maurer of the Minnesota Twins. And then three, four, and five all belong to the Philadelphia Phillies. Three, Roy Halladay. Four, Chase Utley. Five, Cliff Lee. Albert Pujols by many people considered the best player in baseball, comes in at number six. Alex Rodriguez, way down on the list, number nine. All right, lots of thank yous on our show this week. Greg Bush with GMR Marketing, Joe Favorito. Really good conversations with them. Thanks to them. Our show staff, Brian Griggs, Josh Blank, Jared Melzer, Patrick O'Neill, Darren Peck, Ron Barr, James Harrison, Doug Zanger. A podcast reminder, you can catch our show on demand via podcast every week. Click on the iTunes icon on the front page of sportsbusinessradio.com to have our show podcast downloaded to your iTunes every week. We'd really appreciate it if you could post a review of our podcast on iTunes. Find us online, sportsbusinessradio.com. I'm on Twitter. Follow me at SB Radio. For Brian Griggs, I'm Brian Berger. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you next week right here on Sports Business Radio. Until I reach the point of no return. And it's just no turning back when your heart's under attack. Gonna give everything I have. It's my destiny. Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. It's no secret that we're battling a tough economy these days. It's more difficult than ever for companies to position their brand in a unique way and reach their target audience. Sports Business Radio can help you, though. Sports Business Radio is syndicated in markets nationwide. Our popular podcast is regularly rated in the top 100 business news podcasts on iTunes and has listeners around the world. But our radio network and podcast aren't the only places your company will receive exposure when you join our family of sponsors. We'll also give you exposure via sportsbusinessradio.com and at our new Sports Executive Speaker Series events, which feature a conversation with a key decision maker from the world of sports in front of a live audience. And best of all, we can expose your product to the big-name guests that appear on our show. We'd love to have you on our team. Please contact me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com or at 503-701-2215 if you're interested in becoming a sponsor of Sports Business Radio.